You're listening to the Pop Tart Podcast. Girls down. You already know. I won the Mad Singer. <laughs> it's, it's super juicy. Let me just say that. You're your, you're your own superhero with this costume and everything. <laughs> and then, like I said, you have to like plan things for you and your honey to do. Escapism and, and opulence and glamour. You know what I mean? Hello. Hello. And welcome to Pop Tarts. I'm Emily Rems. I'm Callie Watts. We're both editors of Bust Magazine in New York City. We love talking to each other about pop culture. We love talking to you about pop culture. And today's guest is so multi-talented, it's hard to know how to begin introducing her. Candy Burris is a singer, a songwriter, an actor, an entrepreneur, and the longest-running cast member of The Real Housewives of Atlanta. She first rose to fame in 1992 in the R&B group Escape. She won a Grammy for co-writing the TLC hit No Scrubs, one of the greatest songs of all time. <laughs> and she even won the third season of The Masked Singer, dressed as the dark and lovely Night Angel. These days, she's flexing her acting muscles on the Showtime drama The Shy and on the new Lifetime movie Envy, which premieres April 17th. She has so much going on. I cannot wait to talk to her all about it. Welcome, Candy Burris, to the show. Yay, you're here. Thank you. Um, I would like to start at the beginning, if I can. I know that you were born in East Point, Georgia, and you joined your girl group Escape when you were still a teenager. I was a teenager too, and I was like so into all of like the menswear as women's wear fashions that you guys were rocking. I, I was like, yes, I want a butt chain too. How did you get your big break, and what was it like making it big so young? Um, it was um, amazing, I guess. I mean, I actually was born here in Atlanta. At East Point is where I was raised. It's like a sub suburb of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. But I'm actually born in a hospital right in the city of Atlanta, Georgia. Um, but it was amazing meeting my group members in high school at Tri-Cities High School of Visual Performing Arts and um, getting our record deal when I was in 11th grade. And having our first single drop before my 12th grade year and boom. That is crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. And and it's just, um, it's just kind of, um, just everything kind of like came, fell into place the way that I would just pray every night. I would be, you know, just ask God, please God, let us get a record deal and have a song that, you know, become a hit before I graduate from high school. I used to pray every day. That same wow. Day. And it actually came together that way. Um, so it was it was amazing. Um, but the thing about it is my brother, he passed away when I was um, 15. So I just kind of felt like he was my guardian angel in a sense. Mm-hmm. Kind of like had his hands on our group and helping us along the way. Aww. You know, before I forget, I was just looking at your socials and I realized that you and Todd are celebrating an anniversary. Congratulations. Yes, we celebrated our seven year anniversary um, on the 4th, which was this past Sunday. Mm -hmm. 
And you met him doing Real Housewives, right? <laughs> yes. He was a production manager on the show that year, the season that we went to Africa. Um, he had actually just started working on the show that summer. And um, I hadn't actually I hadn't gotten a chance to really meet him or talk to him yet. And I remember um, he was on the trip with us because, you know, the production managers for people who don't really know what the production manager does, like they help hire the crew. They set up everything that we do, um, meaning um, the the hotels, the you know, plan the trips, they plan everything and they, they handle the budgets. They do all that stuff. So, um, he was dealing with a lot of stuff on the trip. So he was, you know, there on the trip, but I didn't, he wasn't hands on with cast, you know? So I wasn't, I didn't really know who he was. And, um, I actually got a chance to meet him on the trip and it was, it was, I don't know. He, he was a really nice guy. And his birthday was the last day of that trip. And I remember we talked nonstop that day. Um, well, that night, actually. We talked all the way through the night and we were leaving that uh-huh. And I remember right before um, he, he came, because they sent him to my room to tell me that I wasn't going to be able to, I think all the girls was trying to get like a massage or something like that. And I was going to be the only person that wasn't going to be able to get one. So they sent him to talk to me and he and I started having a conversation and then he was like, oh, well, you want to go to the bar and get a drink or something like that? And I'm like, well, I don't really drink, but I'll walk with you. And we walked up to the area and realized they had this whole surprise party set up for him, but nobody was in there. They had the balloons and everything. I guess the crew. had. So he's like, oh, my God. So. We had we snuck out of there like he had never seen it. <laughs> so we went back to uh, my room to wait till it was till they called him back to there. So he just sat in my room and talked with me, and and then I walked with him back when it was time for him to get the big surprise. <laughs> and um, we just hung out for the rest of the night. And um, I remember at the end of the night he kissed me, and I was shocked that he just kissed me like that because I was like, wow, he's so bold. And um. But I liked it, you know. This is and so cute. We just continued to um, to date when we got back home, and it was pretty cool. That's the love, best love. story. I love this story. Yeah, thank you. You know, I, as I said up top, you have so much going on right now. But your next big premiere is a role in the new Lifetime movie Envy, which I said drops. April 17th. It's part of the Seven Deadly Sins anthology, and Callie and I just watched it. Mm-hmm. And it's very juicy and scandalous. Yeah, scandalous <laughs> and I laughed because your character in Envy reminds me a little bit about your place on The Real Housewives. And by that, I mean, you're always pointing out when something is stupid and doesn't make any sense. And everyone around <laughs> you just ignores you and doesn't take your good advice. And I feel like right. they saw that in you and were like, this is the perfect part for Candy. Can you <laughs> fill our listeners in on what Envy is about and what it was like for you to play this role? Well, that's funny that you said that because I guess, yeah, you're right. It is like similar to how I am um, in, in real life. Um, but um, this, this movie is really about... Um, a young lady who she grew up without her father and never knowing him. And then one day she finds out that her father is this person who had money, 
who and she has an older sister and they live this life that she wished that she should have had. And, you know, and she she decides that, OK, well, you know, I'm I deserve that. And she wants to basically take everything that they they have. And um, when they reach out to her, instead of, you know, coming into it with good and good intentions, she decides that she, you know, she comes into it in, within bad intentions because she's envious of their lives. Instead of knowing that they want to make her a part of their lives, she's like, you know, I'm going to take what they got or whatever. And uh, but I am a family friend of theirs and, you know, of of, of the um, one of the characters. And I'm like looking out for them and I'm like, yeah, this girl, she's up to no good. You know, I, I keep my eyes out on her the whole time, you know, and I'm just like, Mm-mm, I see she's she's not right. And I'm trying to warn them the whole time. The and whole course, time. The whole time. Of course, I know what I'm talking when about. When you, like, send the girl off to get coffee, you're like, they're not coming in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> man. It's, it's, it's juicy. I, 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 you know, I actually have a stunt double in this movie, which is really cool. <laughs> yeah. There's one scene where I'm very glad that you have that. And I won't be giving away any spoilers, but I'm glad to hear that you had a stunt double for that one scene. Yes. For sure. Uh, Envy is just the latest part that you've taken in some pretty big prestige TV projects that are helmed by some major movers and shakers in black entertainment. You have a recurring role in Lena Waithe's Showtime series, The Shy. That returns May 23rd. And you also appeared uh, for an episode of Issa Rae's series Insecure on HBO. It just makes me wonder what it has been like to collaborate as a part of what's really considered this wave of women of color making big moves in Hollywood and changing the types of stories that we all get to experience. You know, um, I didn't even think of it that way. But, I mean, you are really – you're right. I mean, you're touching on something that is – that's a, that's a really important thing because by these women of color getting these opportunities, you know, they have allowed me to have this opportunity. And, um, you know, I probably wouldn't have, you know, had this chance if it wasn't for them. And so it's um, really cool that they're able to, you know, open the doorway for other women like myself. Um, you know, and it's, it's major because The Shy is a really great show. It's dope. It's showing, you know, the, you know, the craziness of some people's lives in, in The Shy in Chicago. Um, you know, the highs and lows of the, of the community. Um, and this season, you know, well, last season when it ended, you know, my husband, you know, he's a guy from the streets or whatever. And he has like uh-huh. a double you know, he's, you know, he owns a pizza shop and he tries to play the good guy, but he really is also, you know, dealing with the gangs and the drugs and all of that stuff. But he becomes the mayor. So this new season, I am the mayor's wife. Yes. <laughs> My husband is like a bad guy, but he's trying to straighten his life out a little bit. And, you know, you're trying to figure out, is he really trying to do the right thing or is he still doing the wrong thing? So. You know, and you're the first lady of Chicago. Yes, yeah, so it's, <laughs> it's really cool. Um, it's a great role to play, and um, I'm so excited for people to be able to see the new season. It's it, it's super juicy. Let me just say that. At this point, I'm so excited because I have been dying to ask you 
absolutely everything about your time on The Masked Singer. The Masked Singer is yes. my favorite sh- show that is currently on television. Out of everything really? that is currently in production, Masked Singer it. is my very favorite. Callie and I are obsessed with it. We talk about it at work. We talk about it off of work hours. <laughs> we are constantly weighing in on who we think everybody is. You won season three last year, which was airing during the first month's the very first couple of months of COVID, it yes. was um, that was your season, and it was so unbelievably comforting to have that show to turn to when everything else just felt so fucked up. Excuse me, but um, it was so good to watch you on that show, and it really brightened so many people's spirits. Um, you were my favorite to win from the beginning. Back me up, Callie. Oh yeah, I was just rewatching the clips, and I was like, oh my god. And Callie can also verify that I figured out that it was you about halfway through based on the clue packages. I figured out that it was you. Um, But you're really good at the clues, Emily. I try. You're crushing Um, (laughs) What was it like performing in that extremely opulent night angel costume? And how did it feel to have your amazing voice validated completely separately from your identity? I want to know all about it. Okay. So let me just say the very first time I performed in that costume for the first episode, I thought I was going to freaking, well, no, for the dress rehearsal, like right before we actually, you know, do the full performance. Mm-hmm. I thought I was going to pass out. Like literally, I thought I was going to I can't imagine. Out. Um, because it's, it's like, it's one thing to perform, you know, because like we practice, you know, covered up, you know what I mean? Like they, they make us perform and practicing because none of the production crew, anybody knows who we are. I there are only that. a couple of people who are allowed from their team to even allow it to know who each person is. Like, you know, your vocal coach will know who you are. You know, the main choreographer may know who you are, but that's it. Like the dancers don't get to know, see you without your um, covering. The costume you know, people, do they, they must, right? Um, only like the main um, costume designer. Wow. Yeah. Like everybody, you know, it's, it's it doesn't, it, it's only a couple of them. It's not like everybody, you know what I mean? So even when you're in um, the rehearsal on stage, like you have to have a covering. It's not necessarily the, um, not your full mask, but they have like another mask that they give you to put on, you know, when you're doing just like your regular rehearsals, you know what I'm saying? So anyway, when I put the actual full costume on, it was different. Because I had the um, when I put the the um, the little sparkly um, corset thing on, yeah, and then the wings, I couldn't move my chest as much, and it felt like my breathing. Oh no, I couldn't breathe as well. And then I had the thing over my face. Oh my god, I felt like I wanted to pass out on it must have felt like being underwater or something it was so hot first of all being under those lights with the you're already super hot but then i was the restraint of the the corset with the um, wings that were holding my you know my shoulders back 
I just couldn't breathe. And oh my God, I just felt like I was going to die. I was like, oh no. <laughs> so I had to regroup and think of think differently on how I wanted to rehearse. So I went back and I ordered myself a hockey mask. I ordered myself, um, like I ordered, oh, a ski mask, a hockey mask, and some more stuff that like <laughs> at home so that I can kind of like get the feeling of totally covering my face, you know? Yeah. And then run in place while I have a sweatshirt and everything so I could get the feeling of being hot and covered up, you know? You're like when wrestlers jog in trash bags, but you're just like getting ready for the mask Singer with a hockey mask on. It's important that you do that or else you are not prepared. Like to, to do that stuff with that, um, with the whole costume is, it's a lot. And people think that they're not singing, but you really are singing. Like the microphone is live, you know, people are really singing with that stuff on. So. Well, um, we figured that out when Mickey Rourke, you know, went on with his Mickey Rourke self. Oh. <laughs> That's when we figured out that we're, you guys really are singing. <laughs> yeah. Mickey Rourke was wild. Yeah. It's like a lot of people, you know, they don't know. And so, yeah, it was scary for me, but you know what? I, I can say that singing with, the costume, it gave me like a little bit more confidence because sometimes, like I always get nervous when I sing on stage, but it's like, it gave me like a different identity to be able to do it with the mask on. Uh Uh-huh. Because sometimes I get so nervous and my voice will crack and stuff like that, but it's like almost like you're you're your own superhero with this costume and everything, (laughs) you know? So I'm like, okay, I'm a different person with the costume. And, um, you know, I felt like at times people doubted if I could sing or not. So it was like, here I am where the haters is like, I won the mass singer. (laughs) And it was, like I said, it was clear from like, the second or third time that you performed that you were going to win it. Everybody, you were the, you were mm-hmm. favored to win. Did you feel that early on that you were going to win it? Not really. Not really. Honestly, I just didn't want to go home in the first week. Like my, <laughs> my family was like, do not embarrass us. Okay. So I was like, okay, let me at least make it past the like, you know, the first like week, you know, um, the couple weeks, you know, when they do that, um, I can't remember the, the first challenge thing they do. It's like, yeah, they divide you up into groups and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, They divide, you know what I'm talking about. So I was like, let me get past that part, please. So I was excited to get that far, but, um, I remember I was in group C. So I was able to see some of group A you know, performing on air while I was still um, taping or, you know, um, practicing and stuff. So I was like, oh, my God, Chaka Khan is here? That was wild. How the hell am I supposed to perform against Chaka Khan? You know, it was like really, like, that scared me. And then I saw... um, the guy, oh, 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 the um, turtle. I was like, oh, no. He was so good. I, I, he was really good. Really good. I, I just was like, okay, I don't know. I don't know. He's dancing. 
It was, it was, it was, it was interesting. I am very glad that you won and you definitely deserve the victory. I have to say that I was perturbed that Shaka Khan was eliminated so early. Um, I feel like that had to do with song selection more than anything else. And if they had let Shaka be Shaka, that she would have lasted a lot longer. Right. I agree with you. I agree with you, but Hey, it gave me a shot. So I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Candy, of course we have to talk about the fact that you are the longest running cast member on Bravo's number one show, the real housewives of Atlanta to me. And I know to many others, you are the glue that keeps that show together because your reactions to the craziness that goes on on that show are the most relatable. (laughs) <laughs> the women on that show are, are very volatile. I think that's safe to say. And sometimes they are not entirely respectful of one another. There are times, and my cat can, <laughs> like my cat can attest to this, that I will shout at the screen like, that is Candy fucking Burris. Like, do you know who you're talking to? Have some respect. <laughs> like, I get mad about it. But how do you keep up the stamina to come back and film in that milieu of chaos year after year for 12 years like do you have training like on the mass singer like do you practice with a mask on and like a martini in your hands to get to, to do, do you train for it no 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 um you know I guess after a while you start getting used to it I think the only year that I really almost was like, I'm done with this shit. Oh, excuse me. I don't know if I could. No, you can. Oh, yeah, you could. Okay. The only year that I um, was really almost done with it was the year, was that season nine when they came with those allegations. Now that year I was, I was almost like ready to throw in the towel. But um, because I felt like the truth came out at the reunion, I just kind of felt like, okay, well, uh, you know, I can keep going. But, um, you know, other than that, it's just like, it's so crazy. But at the same time, I love the fans of the show. I love how people support us that watch the show. Mm -hmm. You got some super fans. Yeah, we have like super fans. And that, for me, makes it worthwhile. You know, um, you know, um, say, for instance, like even with like my restaurants and stuff like that, like people come from all around to come to Old Lady Gang just because they've seen it on the show. And so I just feel like that opportunity wouldn't be there if I wasn't a part of the show. You know what I mean? That kind of makes dealing with the little drama a little bit more worth it. Something that you went through, I believe it was this season that I wanted to it's making me want to ask you a question that I literally never, ever ask in interviews. (laughs) And that question is, how do you balance work and family? I find it, generally speaking, a very sexist question that women get asked and men don't get asked. However, my partner, Luscious Logan, and I, he produces this show. And we had this long talk after watching your episode, I think actually it was last season, you were working on The Shy and then you were working out of town and then you came back and you were only home for the weekend and you were going to like an event that some of the other ladies on the show were producing. And Todd really sat you down. He had a heart to heart with you about how much you work and how little time you spend with the family. And my partner, Logan, turned to me and he was like, do you realize that we're on lockdown? We live in a tiny East Village apartment. We are locked down in this apartment together. You are working from home and I never see you. 
And I was like, oh, no, Luscious Logan. And watching you and Todd navigate that on the show, like, we had to talk it out. And I was like, you're right. Like, I'm working too much. And, like, you have 10 million more businesses than I do. (laughs) So I am. But you a workaholic, Kim. There's a lot to do, Callie. I'm sure there's a lot to do. I'm ends. sure Candy can can understand where I'm coming from with that. But all, you and only you, Candy, how do you balance work and family when there's a, you have three, four kids, you have three kids and a, a stepdaughter who is also your daughter and you have a million businesses and you are a public person. How do you do it so I can do it? <laughs> well, um, I definitely would have to say that it it is a lot to try to balance, you know, um, and it, it takes a con- conscious effort. You know, when you pay, you have to pay attention because you will sometimes overbook yourself or overwork yourself. And that was one of those times where I was overdoing it. You know, um, my team was like setting stuff up in my schedule and that was the only weekend I had off. And I I should have told them, no, like that's the weekend that I had set aside for my family. And I allowed them to put some more stuff because they knew I was coming home. So they should have known like, yeah, like she needs to just be able to chill with her family. But no, I allowed them to add a couple more things because I was in town. But yeah, I shouldn't have allowed them to do that. But um, with that being said, my family... They are very, very supportive. My husband, obviously, um, he's very supportive. And that allows for me to be able to do so much because, you know, like you said, I mean, you know, typically the wife doesn't travel as much, you know, and the husband, you know, is the one that's doing all the traveling out of town or whatever, you know. Um, In our case, my husband, he travels sometimes for things. But he deals with a lot more of our businesses that are here in Atlanta, like dealing with our restaurants and dealing with all that stuff. So it keeps him in Atlanta more. And so our kids are able to still have, you know, that one parent that they're seeing a majority of the time when I have to go and say, for instance, do a mass singer or do the shy, you know, and they still come and fly out. The whole family will come and fly out and see me come back and forth. And so, we schedule it out and plan it that way. And then, you know, I do have family friends that will come and help at the house and help watch. So it's like definitely a village over there. And we keep kids <laughs> in a lots of activities and doing a lot of stuff. So they're never really bored. We don't get a chance mm-hmm. to get bored because when they're bored, that's when they feel like, oh, nobody's cares and nobody's doing this, you know. And then, like I said, you have to like plan things for you and your honey to do you and you know you and your man or your you know your your partner you gotta you know plan things for you guys to do so that you know they won't just feel like it's all work because I know Todd sometimes he'll feel like okay are we just business partners or are you know where's you got to keep the love going in order for this relationship to continuously feel new feel fun you know right right yeah now this this is the, I think, is going to be the last housewives question. And I'm not trying to get anybody in trouble. I just honestly, this is coming from a place of truly wanting to know. I find your friend Kenya on that show to be a real shit stirrer 
I find her very <laughs> exhausting and stressful. Callie oh, and I, Callie more than I, but Callie is very good friends with Big Frida. And oh, wow. we were watching everything go down with Big Frida on the most the the recent episode of Real House of Wives of Atlanta that just aired where Big Frida was trying to like give a cooking class and have a meal with everyone and there was a lot of like yelling and awkwardness. Yeah. Like I it made me a little bit crazy, especially to see Frida put in that position. Oh, you, oh Marlo's that one. Okay, that was Marlo. But the root of it. I feel was Kenya relentlessly slut shaming the group because they had a good time at a bachelorette party that you planned in a spirit of, of fun and uh, hedonistic joy and female <laughs> bonding. And all of a sudden it turned into like this endless litany of slut shaming that would not stop at that. Cum- I don't know if it culminated in front of big Frida, but it, there was drama related to it in front of big Frida. Can you explain to me for real why you are friends with her? I know that you must see something in her that I don't see, but I, I see you as a very sex positive person. Oh, and sure. She's really making me super crazy with that. Okay. Can you talk me through it? Let me just say, um, first of all, I love Kenya. I think Kenya is, um, She's really cool. She is definitely loyal to the people that are loyal to her. And she's funny. Okay. And she's great TV. So that's what I say about her first. Now, the second thing is, um, when it came to that particular situation, I think, um, well, from our conversations, obviously, her, I think for me, I personally feel like for her, it was more so a thing of, if it was her and she was the one who had done anything. Can you pause for one second for our, for our listeners who are not all up to date. What, what we're talking about is there was this amazing bachelorette party. And then there were allegations made that someone in the group had had sex with the stripper who was procured for the event. And so when you're talking about, is it her, did she, or did she not? We're talking about, did a member of the cast have intercourse with a stripper at the event. Do go on. So basically, Kenya felt like um, multiple things. She feels like, okay, for one, she was like, if it had been her, they definitely would have talked about her and definitely would have dogged her out and dragged the situation. So when she said that to me, I'm like, yes, they would have, for sure. They have called her all kind of whores and everything in the past. And also spread rumors about her in the past that wasn't even true. So I was like, with that being said, that for one was true. That to that to her point was true. Second, she said at first she was really just joking about the situation. It was like, but then I guess somebody had kind of like threw around, which I guess they didn't show that part, but somebody kind of threw around like, uh, oh, she keeps saying stuff like that. I'm going to sue or, you know, or something like that. Or, it was something like that or whatever. And she was just like, now nah, I'm not, I, she was saying like, it. she never lied. So she was like, like, now if they saying she's a liar. Now she's really going to rub it in. Cause she was like, I'm not lying. So now I'm really going to rub it in on you. So that was her second point. And then to her third point, it was, we are in a cast house. So she's like, we're supposed to talk about the stuff that happens on this trip for the sake of the show. So she's like, if we don't talk about this, 
what is there for the show? <laughs> that was the main part of what happened on this season, right? That's good TV. She knows good TV. Like it was good TV. So if she had never talked about it, nobody would have ever known. It would have never been discussed. And that would have been a whole major talking point and, and juiciness that would have never happened. So right. with that being said, I had to I had to let her go. I had to let her have her points. <laughs> that was very diplomatic of you. You know, with the way that I was thinking of it is, you know, I was I was pulling out my lens. I was thinking about the fact that you, Candy, have a lot of different businesses. The business of yours that I'm most interested in is a company called Bedroom Candy, which is an intimate toy line and lifestyle brand. You reach out to women who are interested in exploring their own pleasure, but need a little help getting there. Um, And I was worried for you that this most recent storyline where women were just being relentlessly shut slut shamed for letting loose at this bachelorette party that you planned as like the candy of bedroom candy that it would somehow interfere with your identity as this super sex positive entrepreneur um and i've heard i heard you say multiple times on it like hey like let's let it go like let's not shame people for what they do um i was just wondering on like from your end if your concerns were my concerns And to your point, that's that's exactly what my concerns were. Bedroom Candy is all about living your life. Like I made that whole dungeon tour and party, you know, I actually it's a whole tour that we take on the road so people can live their best life and be free to be who they want to be. So that's totally opposite of who I am, what my brand is. I was like, why would I bring Bolo here to try to make somebody feel bad for living their best life with Bolo if that's what they want to do. You know, like, I don't care what y'all decide y'all want to say, but please stop trying to put me in the hot seat. And and it, it keeps happening all the way to the reunion. Like, it just really kind of um, bothered me that everybody kept trying to put me in the hot seat to talk about what somebody else had going on that particular night, you know, it's like, it, right. Let them be who they want to be. <laughs> let a bitch live. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Let a bitch live. And I'm glad that you, uh, before I get off of this topic, I'm glad that you brought up the reunion because you released some amazing photos of your um, reunion outfit, which is serving some like incredible, like post modern Betty page pinup fetish realness. And I want to, say that for anybody who's like looking askance at your couture, like they need to go back and learn a little something about pinup fetish model history and then get back to you about what you put on because it was perfection. Absolute perfection. <laughs> Thank you. It was so many people hating on my look. What people didn't understand was what we were told was that the theme was Fifty Shades of Grey Burlesque Dungeon. That was the theme. So it is not my fault that a lot of the women just wore their normal gowns. I went with the theme. Right. You, <laughs> you didn't give me show a theme. I'm brunch. done with the theme. Yes. I went with the theme. 
game. So it's like, for me, it's like, I want to give you latex. So I hit up Vex. They gave me the latex collar, the bodysuit, the the um, sleeves. And then I had um, Rico Chappelle, who is African-American designer here in Atlanta. He did the long glamorous skirt. So I went to put the latex with the glamour. And then the hair, like you said, the Betty Page. For me, Dita Von Teese, she's the, mm-hmm. the queen of burlesque. She does that retro hairstyle. I wanted to use that as my influence. That was my inspiration. So yeah. I was like, what? I People don't you. deserve your, your retro avant-garde aesthetic. They Thank don't deserve you. you. Thank you. Well, they'll right. see when, when the actual show comes on, I think they'll get it. They'll, they'll all see. Yeah. You'll all see. Um, <laughs> I have to talk about your music quickly. You began your music career in 1992, as I as we discussed in the Girl Group. I think, when we released. Oh, okay, 93. Um, mm-hmm. In the Girl Group Escape. And then in 2000, you won a Grammy for Best R&B Song for the TLC hit No Scrubs. As I said, it's the best song. I stand by it. It's it's so it really stands the test of time. Like you can't play that in like a club or like a karaoke room without everyone jumping up. It is undeniably a perfect pop song. You've also written hit songs for Pink and Whitney Houston, Destiny's Child, NSYNC, Mariah Carey, Usher, Alicia Keys, Boys to Men. You've written all these songs. How does being a pop star yourself and being out front and dancing on stage and in the videos compare with being the songwriter and making all that publishing money? Do you have a preference? Oh, my goodness. Um, Songwriting gets you paid. (laughs) um you know being an artist it just fulfills a moment um of joy (laughs) um I feel like being an artist you know for the love of music and just you know living out a dream and being on stage and the fans I feel like that's amazing I feel like the creative of writing music and then getting having these royalties that just last forever and ever, that's even more amazing. (laughs) Um, And plus people remake your records and to see how people use your work for their inspiration as well. I think that is just super cool as well. Like um, I would have never expected that. Like I would have never saw that coming with, um, you know, you know, Ariana Grande take sampling what I did on um in sync's um song that I wrote for them into her record oh, yeah. hit again all these years later. Um, get you paid again. Yeah, it's just um so um and then and then I mean for me I really love being in the studio and being creative. So it's it's kind of weird for me. I, it just depends on when you catch me. Sometimes I really love being on stage, and sometimes I just love being in the studio and just being able to chill. And yeah, mm-hmm. the behind the scenes because it's like, you know, you can just be low key and have all these hits and nobody know 
that is you. I would like to know, Candy Burris, are you a feminist? Mm, I've been called that. I mean, it's not intentional, but I guess I am. <laughs> All right. I'm definitely girl power. I mean, it's definitely for sure. I'm um, pro woman. I always, I love when I can kick down the door for women. If I can get a first for us or make something happen for us, I it's very important for me that um, we are always, you know, have equal rights at everything. You know, um, it's always shocking to me that this late in the game that there are still firsts to be made. You know, mm-hmm. like it seems like by now we should be, you know, on a level playing field, but it's Shockingly, it's not that way. So, like for for instance, um, even though that was in um, 2000, 2001 or whatever, when I got Songwriter of the Year, um, and I was the first woman to ever get ASCAP Songwriter of the Year um, for the um, Rhythm of Soul Awards for ASCAP, I was shocked. I was like, how is that even possible? Like, how am I the first woman to do this? And, you know, so to me, I'm just like, because it's not enough women doing this in the music industry is you know it's definitely when it comes to entertainment is way more men doing um you know men producers uh, men songwriters men you know it's like way more them than us always you know and so we need to level the playing field so that you know we are recognized and so for me every chance i can get to just kick down the door and say, hey, we are here and we can do this, then yeah, that's me. Amazing. I'm glad to hear it. And this is my last question. It is the last question that I ask every guest on Pop-Tarts. And that question is, what you watching? When I say what you watching, it is a broad pop cultural question. We want to know about books, movies, television, music, music videos, podcasts. If you are consuming anything pop culturally, we want to know about it. Candy Burris, what you watching? On television, I'm watching many different shows. So I'm watching Snowfall. I love that show. Okay. I love, what's that show? Oh, right now I'm watching Tell, Tell Me Your Secrets on Amazon Prime. Oh, that was good. I saw that. Oh, you finished it? Yeah. Oh, I love the the boys. I just finished that up. Did you watch that? No, but I heard it was really good. Yeah, I heard it was Everybody good. tells me I should watch that. It's excellent. Um I'm oh, last night I just watched King Kong versus um Godzilla. Godzilla. Yeah, with my son. He was amazing. he he's so crazy about it. Um <laughs> Okay, well, Jasmine Sullivan's album is my favorite R&B album out right now. Um, my favorite song is Silk Sonic, um, Bruno Mars' new song. Oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> we saw that at the Grammys. Yeah, I didn't, get to see, I didn't get to see the performance, though. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's the main stuff that I do on a regular Okay. Well, thank you so much for being on our show. We were so excited to have you and you are such a delight to talk to. Thanks for having me. It was great talking to you as well. Um, That was a a really good conversation. I thought so too. 
All right. Well, we're going to take the briefest of breaks. And when we come back, I'm going to ask Callie. And Callie is going to ask me what you're watching. Before we get back to the show, I want to tell you about our new sponsor, Wolfie Vibes Publicity. If you're working on a new project and find yourself in need of a kick-ass publicist who communicates well and works tirelessly to get you the coverage you're after, consider going to Wolfie Vibes Publicity. Wolfie Vibes Publicity is a female-owned and operated boutique PR firm that will get you where you need to be, and you'll even have fun in the process. Get in touch via wolfievibespublicity.com for details and quotes, and tell them that Pop-Tart sent you. Essentially, I started it because every female comedian I know was amazing and hardworking and hilarious, and I knew would make great podcasts, and every male comedian I know already had a podcast and was doing their own thing. <laughs> Hi, I'm Kate Moldenhauer, the founder of More Banana Podcasts, a comedy podcast network entirely produced, hosted, and led by women. We have shows about politics. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Let's Get Civical. When the Supreme Court puts stuff on their calendar, they use the word docket. So their Google calendar is a docket. Is a docket. So technically, I have a docket. You have a docket. We all have docket. We dockets. all have a docket. Sex. Welcome to my vagina. I'm Jesse Karen. This is Rebecca Frank. What were ancient Greek dildos made of, Jesse? They were made of padded leather and, yep, anointed with olive oil. Yep. <laughs> Scams. I'm Caitlin I'm Rodney. Smith. And, <laughs> and we, we love scams. scams. She tells them she's a German-Russian heiress, and she seems like she has a lot of money, and people buy it. That's yeah. basically what's happening. So as soon as she got a loan, she would cash it as much as she could out before anybody caught on. It's amazing. So smart. I mean, so like smart. To, I mean, it's terrible, but like to take that money out immediately. Because women are actually pretty versatile and funny. More Banana is a network of women's voices, unfiltered and uninterrupted. Find us everywhere you get your podcasts and learn about our growing roster of shows at morebanana.com. We're back. Hello. What's up, Callie? We just talked to Candy Burris. Dude. What that an was opulent great. lady. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I just love how she, like all of her projects are all about like escapism and, and opulence and glamour. You know what I mean? Yes. Well, now I need you to tell me everything, Callie. I've got to know. I want to know. I need to know what you're watching. Well, been listening to a lot of DMX, RIP. Oh, RIP. I know that it was really sad. And then I got really sorry into my tears last night watching a Roxanne Shante uh, tribute video on TikTok. She had me crying like a bitch. Um, she was talking about how they met. They just clicked because they both came from struggle. And that DMX had told her that his mom had taken to a shelter when he was nine and just left him there. <gasps> And she was like, he was way, she's crying the whole time. And you know, if I see somebody, even though this is sad and would make me cry anyway, if I see somebody cry, I cry. It's like, I'll, if you puke, I'll puke on your puke. If you cry, I cry and you cry. <laughs> <laughs> so from the beginning, I was crying before she'd even really <laughs> spoke. But um, it was really, really sad. And she was like, he was too young. He wasn't prepared. And then she just like, oh, it was, so if you want to cry, go watch that 
But you know, I love okay. Roxanne Shante. I didn't know she had a TikTok, so I'll be on that more. Yeah, for sure. So then I also have been recently getting in to James Corden and the Late 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 Show. I don't mm-hmm. watch it when it's on. I watch the YouTube clips later. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't really into that show when they were had an audience. <laughs> but now, <laughs> I don't know if this is, I was always the setup. But, I mean, I never started watching it until they got back from quarantine, but they still don't have a live audience. So it's like he talks and like they just riff with the band and with the 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 people that work there with the crew and the writers. And so they're all just kind of lounging on the stairs or like around the stage <laughs> in their masks. And then he'll be like, he'll holler at the one camera guy and ask him his opinion on something. And they're all really funny. All everybody on the set is hilarious, especially this one huh. writer who he's like on the side with his own little desk. Um, everybody else is like holding, you know, camera crew or, you know, boom mic people or they're the writers are just kind of lounging around and he's got this side desk and he's the head writer. And every time uh, James asks him something, it is comedy gold. He is so fucking quick. His name is Ian Carmel and I love him. Okay, He is hilarious. And then there's this other guy on the crew. I don't know. I'm not sure. I think he does production and he's uh, a queer man and he loves Patti LuPone. Right. And she was on the show once. A while ago, and they were going over their like their favorite memories. It's like the, an anniversary show, and they were talking about their favorite mem- memories while making the show. And he said it was when Patty Lapone was on. And then James was like, "Do you still have her number?" And then they made him text her to see if she wanted to hang out. And they were like, "Oh, you know," she ended up texting back, and they ended up going to a uh, like a weekend Airbnb to hang out together. Oh. <laughs> did they bring cameras? Did they film it? No, no. And the guy was like so nervous when he got back because he was like, what stays at an air or I forget what neighborhood they were in stays there. You know, like, cause he was like, I'm not telling you what I did with the phone. <laughs> oh my God. It is so way secret. funnier, way funnier than I thought. And then also, um, Oh, who is the band? The head of the band is Reggie Watts and he is oh, right. really, really funny. And he's always eating a salad while they're taping. <laughs> It's just, I really like it. I feel like it would be a really fun place to work. And I feel like a lot of it is definitely not scripted and they're just going for it. And and I'm hooked. I, I always would, would follow up on the carpool karaoke's on YouTube, but I haven't that's, watched the show very much. That's all I really watched. And then now I'm like, and I don't even watch his interviews. I'm just watching the beginning rift with the band and the, the team. <laughs> that's all I do. <laughs> And then, like, at a little bit in the end, they'll be like, oh, should we talk about some news? We're supposed to be talking about the news. <laughs> and then we barely talk about news. So then I also watched, um, oh, I've been listening to, speaking of funny things, um, the Funny Feeling podcast. You know, I'm not really a podcast person, but I had to go to the DMV. <laughs> What's one to do? And uh, it's Betsy, Betsy Sidaro and Marcy Jeru. I'm, I'm not sure if I'm slaughtering that name or not but you know I love Betsy Sodaro she's got that crazy voice and she was Dabby and Dank and Dabby on that one right um, Dank and Dabby yeah she's in my mind a legend for that and nobody saw it so so I love her and her voice is so great so like I would listen to her talk about anything and um the other lady I, she's an actress on Brooklyn Nine-Nine so I 
never saw that show in my life. <laughs> but it's really funny. The, the whole premise is they invite other uh, comedians and celebrity guests and also have uh, viewers call in with paranormal experiences and other spooky stories. And like yes. the, the theme is don't try not to shit your pants or don't shit your pants or something like that. <laughs> I love spooky stories. That sounds so good for me. Yeah, it's great because it's spooky stories. They're like, really, what the fuck? But then Betsy and Marcy's like critiques are really hilarious. And in the first episode, they were talking about how, you know, how they like being scared and how women generally like crime shows and scary stuff. And men uh, aren't that into like spooky stories because men are not used to being scared. So it makes them uncomfortable. And they don't like to be open that they were afraid. But they do like to run around with night vision goggles and abandoned prisons and shit and pretend to be commandos. That is true because I think it makes them, they have equipment. So then they feel like they're in control. Yeah, they're in control of this ghost situation. They're not. And they're like always trying to boss the ghosts around. They're like, if you're here. I want to hear you at the count of three. You know what I mean? Like they're always trying to boss ghosts around as if ghosts give a shit about them. <laughs> yeah, when a lady tries to get a ghost, she's like, let's sit at the table and calmly ask him if he feels like chatting. <laughs> yeah, it's like inviting a ghost to a dinner party instead of trying to boss him around. <laughs> yeah. So then I've also <laughs> been watching this. Um, oh, I finished it. It was a binger. Home Before Dark on Apple TV. It's about this like really young girl who's always wanted to be a reporter. Her dad's a reporter. And so she's like super young and her family moves from Brooklyn to like a little lake town that her dad grew up in. And then she starts digging around and trying to solve this cold case. And she gets like, yeah, she starts like interviewing people. She's all up in it. She's, she's friends with the cops. She's getting in with places. It's great. And then lastly, I was listening to this TikTok. Um, some of the most fucked up movies I have ever seen by Bryce Vaughn on TikTok. And there was one on there called Eden Lake. And it's like some uh, these couples camping and these kids fuck with them. And the guy was like, you are going to ha- hate these kids so fucking much. You will fucking hate kids when you this movie is over. And I fucking hated kids. Fuck these kids. Fuck these kids straight to hell. It was insane. They were so these kids were so fucked up. So like they keep they're just kind of fucking with the couple on the beach. And then the the dude like says some like shitty shit to him and, and like antagonizes them. Heads up, dude. Never antagonize a group of children. Right? Oh, God. They're like, like wasps. Dude, they have no fear at all. They gas each other up. No, do not do that shit. I'll just leave it at that. I don't want to give too much away. You've been watching some scary stuff, Callie. You know how I do. You know how I do it. I do. I do. <laughs> what have you been watching? I'm so glad you asked. You know, I started out light. There is a documentary called Hysterical on Hulu, um, which is a documentary. It's directed by Andrea Nevins, and it follows um, a bunch of women comedians and shows their lives on stage and off stage, and like, you know, delves into all the fuckery that women have to deal with to be stand-up comedians. But then you get to see good, good portions of their act as well, and you get to see a lot of funny stand-up in it. This um, this documentary involves two women that we've interviewed on this very show. Judy Gold and Margaret Cho are both yes. on in this documentary and also former 
bust cover star Kathy Griffin is interviewed in this documentary. And there's also some other really uh, great comedians who I have varying degrees of familiarity with, and it was good to see them all together. Um, Carmen Lynch is in this movie, Nikki Glaser, Jessica Curson, Marina Franklin, who I wasn't really familiar with before and is really funny. Rachel Feinstein, Lisa Lampanelli, who I didn't realize retired from stand-up. She Me was either, really but I funny. fucking love Lisa Lampanelli. <laughs> Kelly Bachman is in it. Eliza Schlesinger. Fortune Femster is someone that I've, I keep seeing in more and more movies, and I think she's really funny. And Sherry Shepard, who's always great. They're mm-hmm. all in this movie. They're all talking about like the various... Um, the trials and tribulations of doing their act. And there's also a, a lot of like some intimate moments. I remember one specifically with um, Judy Gold at the comedy cellar, like right after another woman went on and like, you can see her being really um, like supportive of a, a young woman comedian coming up and them really like gassing each other up, not gassing each other it. up, but you know, like, you know, like being supportive and that's, yeah. that's really helpful too. Like, I, I enjoyed seeing that part because you don't want to think about, like, it's so hard for women comedians anyway. Like, you, it's good to see them helping each other out. So, yeah, it was it was good. I recommend it. It's on Hulu. Um, another movie I watched on Hulu, another documentary, was WeWork, or The Making and Breaking of a $47 Billion Unicorn. This documentary was written and directed by Jed Rothstein, and it followed that real estate company WeWork which was basically like a co-working empire that was run by this Israeli dude, Adam Newman. And it's just about like venture capital and how it's just like this big all dude circle jerk where people just like, (laughs) just like dudes just like jizz money into each other's faces. I don't understand venture capital. I don't understand how a guy like renting out desk space by the hour to people can raise like $47 billion in venture capital. And like, I feel like if someone invested $1 million in Bust Magazine just once, like we would be able to do so much with that money. Like our strategies for what to do with a million dollars in Bust Magazine would yield so many different creative, imaginative, um, income generating revenue streams that like, those that million could easily be doubled, but like nobody is going to invest a million dollars in a feminist magazine and cultural institution. No, no, why would they do that when they can invest forty-seven billion dollars in renting desks? Like it just—it <laughs> makes me fucking furious. I don't understand venture capital. I don't understand how and why they decide to put money where they put it. But I know. That it's not feminist. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, on the Cali tip, I watched a very scary movie. I watched um, When a Stranger Calls from 1979. Um, it's it's the like sort of the ultimate home invasion movie. The whole like the call yeah. is coming from in the house trope. Like obviously that trope started in a very famous urban legend. But um, the first movie to really fully explore the call is coming from in the house was When a Stranger Calls in 1979. So scary. Um, if I had ever seen it, I had forgotten it. that the babysitter at home when the call is coming from in the house is a young, young Carol Kane. And then the maniac who's like 
calling from in the house. He's being chased down by Charles Durning. Um, and they make that big man run up a lot of stairs. And I was like, come on, don't make Charles Durning run up the stairs. Like, <laughs> think about his knees and his back. As, as a fellow large person, I was like, Charles Durning, I, I hope Rewrite that you got paid scene. well for this. Yeah, <laughs> some sensitivity. He really ran a lot when he was running after this guy. And then the other thing that I didn't realize was that, um, do you remember when we were interviewing um, Kira Sedgwick and I was talking about how in the summer I would go to my neighbor Colleen Dewhurst I went to my neighbor Colleen Dewhurst's house and her son Campbell Scott was playing volleyball shirtless in the yard and I went through <laughs> puberty so anyway my neighbor Colleen Dewhurst is in this movie too what no yeah like after the guy terrorizes Colleen uh after the guy terrorizes Carol Kane. Then he goes to like this dive bar and starts harassing Colleen Dewhurst. And he like follows her all the way home. And it's like becomes a thing. And then his whole interaction with her is just an object lesson in how women like don't want to seem rude and like mm -hmm. they want to be accommodating and like, don't like if someone, if someone seems like a psycho, like they probably are. And you need to like, make sure you're being extremely rude and put as many barriers as possible. Unless between yourself it's and children. Unless it's a group of children, then you just move your situation. <laughs> and the last thing I've been watching, obviously, is the Majestic Pop-Tarts Patreon page. It's in the world. It's our way of helping keep Bust afloat while we wait for that sweet, sweet venture capital money to come <laughs> rolling in. Um, we need everyone's help to keep Bust alive. And hopefully you'll be excited by the goodies that we've hooked up for Pop-Tarts listeners at patreon.com slash Pop-Tarts Podcast. Callie and I have been typing up show notes exclusively for our Patreon donors that include links to what everyone has been watching for all 106 episodes of this show. So if you're like, hey, I don't know what to watch next. Oh, yeah. Like, I wonder what Roxanne Gay is watching. I wonder what jd sampson from the tigra is watching like you can just go back and it's all there and linked up just for you all all there um you can also get totally ad free episodes there's exclusive content on there including the episode we taped with big frida who just recently made an appearance on real housewives of atlanta oh my go god frida. yes and so much more check it out at patreon.com slash pop tarts podcast and finally, thank you to our luscious producer and sound engineer, Logan Del Fuego. Muy caliente, Logan. And of course, our girl gang at Bust Magazine. You can find me on Twitter at Emily Rems and on Instagram at Rems Emily, but you cannot find Callie on social, so don't try, right? No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> but you can email both of us. I'm at Emily Rems at Bust.com. Callie W at Bust.com. And you can learn more about this show at bust.com slash Pop-Tarts. And finally, please, if you can, rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us get the word out, and we super duper appreciate it. Until next time. Mwah! Fuck these kids. Fuck these kids straight to hell. Or a threesome with two cast members and a, and a stripper. I see somebody cry. I cry. It's like, oh, you puke, I'll puke on your puke, but you cry, I cry, I cry.